A reading from the book of Samuel. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood in the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And there came out um, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a, took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to, said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stones sank into his forehead, and he fell to his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this fall, we are making our way through the life of David, and we come now to this epic story. And I, I realized that was a long scripture reading, much longer than is normal for us. So thanks for your patience and your grace as we listen to God's word from 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you would, please bow with me as I say one more quick word of prayer as we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And as we're starting uh, this sermon, I just want to encourage all of us in the room to to find one handle, one thing as I uh, share about God's Word that you can take with you. Whether you're in fourth grade, sixth grade, or 60 years old, I think this message applies to all of us. The title is is, uh, Facing Giants, and I want to begin with a simple question. How do you react in the face of danger? How do you react in the face of danger. My family and I, we moved down here in the summer, excuse me, in the winter of 2011, but one of the things we discovered right when we moved here uh, were the beaches. Anyone here like to go to the beaches uh, of Charleston? Yes, right? There's Sullivan's Island, there's Isle of Palms, there's Folly Beach. Well, we moved down from the greater New York City area. And the beaches there, they honestly weren't so nice compared to our beaches, and they were expensive. In fact, where we lived, if we wanted to go to the nice beach, we had to pay $50 to go to the beach. I know, look at that look of disgust. $50, that's expensive, but when you have three little kids, you want to play in the sand, and you want to go with friends, and we just couldn't afford to live in that specific section of town, but our, our friends did. And so we had to pay $50. So, of course, when we moved here, Sullivan's Island is free. You know, Isle of Palms, you can park there, and it's free, and it's beautiful. So we uh, had a a nice little rhythm. And in 2012, we just started inviting friends to join us after church at the beach. And, And we had little kids then, and we'd get our strollers, and we'd get our little floaties, and we'd all descend 
on this one place on Isle of Palms. Maybe that's your rhythm. So uh, we were there one day in the summer of 2012, and I was up to my knees in water. And I'm looking out at my kids playing in the water, and I see a fin. I didn't think. No, I acted. Shark! Shark! And I start screaming, and I took it upon myself to clear the beach. Um, I start running up and down. I don't know what got a hold of me. I start running up and down making the shark symbol like this. Clear the beach, there's a shark! And moms are like throwing their, their towels in their picnic baskets, and they're running in, and, and uh, true story. And, and I was clearing that beach, and uh, the problem was, uh, I, I look back out there, and then this little fin just keeps rolling. <laughs> and it's rolling. And uh, there was a family in our first service at our 9 a.m. service. He's a doctor, and his job is to diagnose problems. And I called him last night, and I said, I want this story <laughs> to be honest, Daryl. Uh, what percentage chance was there that it was not a shark? He said, Paul, i got to be honest with you. Zero percent chance. That was a dolphin, my friend. But uh, anyway, so, and I don't know, there's another family that would often go to the beach with us up here in the front. I cleared blocks of Isle of Palms in that beach. And, you know, it, with, with the love that they have for me, the Pauls, Daryl and his family, they bought, bought me this last Christmas, shark bands, okay? And, um... This is supposed to, uh, and he sent me a video where a guy's in a cage with bloody fish and he's wearing this, this band and the sharks are repelled. And so he wants to keep me safe in the face of danger, right? <laughs> I probably scarred my wife because she still doesn't really go in the ocean uh, when we're at the beach. She's from Minnesota. They, they don't have things to eat you in Minnesota like that. But here's the deal. We all face giants, but we all face them in different ways, don't we? We all face giants, but we all face them in different ways. And as you look at this passage, this epic passage of David and Goliath, we see several responses to facing giants. Uh, we first see uh, when facing giants, people fill with fear. We second see uh, People facing giants, they fill with anger. Third, we see people facing giants fill with doubt. And last but not least, we see people facing giants fill with faith. So we're going to dive into these four responses and see how we can relate to this passage. Response number one, when facing giants, some of us fill with fear. I'm going to put on my new glasses so I can see what I'm looking at here. He, Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So just picture the scene with me. Here's what you have. You have the Philistines, the, the, the biggest enemy of the Israelites, facing off against the nation of Israel. And they're a coastal people, so they're coming up from the coast, and, and they stop at this valley of Elah. And this is a very important strategic valley. Why? Because it is the path to Jerusalem from the coast. And so if you wanted to have a trade route, you needed to conquer take over this valley. In fact, this valley was the scene of an epic war even during the Crusades. So you have the Philistines over here on one side of the valley, and then you have the Israelites over here, and they're a mountain people. I know we have some people from the Carolina, North Carolina. They're like you. They're a mountainous people. They're in the hills. And no one will come down to the valley except this one man, Goliath, the villain, the giant. And he comes down, and he doesn't come down lightly or quietly. He comes down loudly. And he says, you cowards, who will face me today? If you do a little research, he's wearing over 100 pounds of armor. Do we have any weightlifters in here? Any trainers? Uh, just imagine picking up 50-pound dumbbells in each hand and then putting them on your shoulders. That's essentially what... Goliath was carrying. And uh, the research also says he is between like 6'9 and 9'6, somewhere in that realm of height. He was a giant, a strong man. The passage, if you dig in, he had three weapons. He had a sword, he had a javelin, and he had a spear. And the spear they detail in great length here because it was a vicious weapon. It could pierce not only shields, but the body armor of the Israelites all in one like toss, one thrust. You didn't mess with this guy in his weaponry. And you know, this isn't the first time that Israel had faced giants. I know we have some people that like to fancy themselves as Bible scholars, so listen up here. This is not the first time Israel had faced giants. You see, previous to this encounter, there was this guy, Moses, and he led the Israelites out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the desert towards the promised land. And when they're right, kind of about to enter into the promised land, God says to Moses, pick 12 leaders from each tribe of Israel and send them into the promised land. This land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you this land, but go scout it out, spy it out. And wouldn't you know it, out of the 12, 10 come back terrified. And here's what they have to say. This is from Numbers chapter 13. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height, and there we saw the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. The Nephilim are an ancient people of giants, and research tells us that actually Goliath is from that line of people. 
the Israelites were facing giants not only with Saul, but with Moses. You know what they had to say? We're not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. As I was thinking about this passage, it, it made me think about a little of my story. Beyond running from sharks, I, I've run from some other things in my life. In first grade, I was at Hillcrest Elementary in Little Lake Wales, Florida, and they split us up according to our reading levels. And there were like three groups, this true, true story, three groups in our grade, the lions, the tigers, and the chickens. Which group was I in? The chickens. Who does that, right? But my mom, who's got her doctorate, that didn't bless her. And so she went and met with the teacher and said, why is my son Paul in the chickens? And, uh, and, and the teacher said, I'm sorry. He's just not up to the speed of the other readers. And we can't hold them back. And so we have to kind of keep him back with these others. And it uh, turns out I, I have a learning disability, a processing problem with reading. And it was so hard for me to read, to comprehend. And uh, my mom, she, she didn't take no for an answer. So we went back home. She's like, we're going to read. You and I, we're going to read together. And we read for hours and hours and hours that year. And I ended up ascending, I think, whatever, to the lions by the end of the year. Then fast forward 20 years. I'm in seminary getting my Master's of Divinity and Master's in Counseling. And when you get your Master's of Divinity, um, someone here is in that process, you have to take ancient languages, Greek and Hebrew. That didn't bless me. Okay, listen. Someone with uh, my struggles, it was hard for me. And I was just about to graduate, or I, I didn't have long to graduate, and I had to enter into Hebrew. I kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it back. And uh, I finally entered into the class, signed up for the class first day. They, they showed us what we had to learn, the alphabet. And uh, I was in shock. Fear kind of poured over me. Because you read that language backwards, right to left, not left to right. And uh, it looks like symbols, not letters. And uh, I ended up, you know, saying, it's not my time. And I dropped out of that class. I waited to the very end to take Hebrew, and praise be to God, not only I passed, I think I got A's, but it was so hard, like language, you not only learn a Hebrew, this ancient language, you actually have to learn all the other rules for English first. It wasn't fun. I ended up learning Yankee Doodle Dandy, right, to memorize the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Betten, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, and Vivent, I know, right? Someone like me, that matters. What's the point? The point number one is when some of us face giants, we fill with fear and we flee. Point number two, uh, when facing giants, some of us fill with anger. The passage goes on. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption in the evil in your heart, little brother, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? 
And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. So let me set the stage. We had to skip over some of the passage so we could actually get to the battle. What's happened here is Goliath is taunting the Israelites. Little David, the shepherd boy, is going back and forth from tending the sheep with his dad to providing for his brothers food. And he hears the taunting. And he says, what's going on with this guy? And his older brother rebukes him, calls him out. Anger is kindled in his heart. I know this doesn't happen here in our families, right? You know, have you ever noticed that we can be harshest to those with whom we're closest? Have you ever noticed that we can be meanest to those we're called to love the most? A personal confession. When we were starting this church, it was really hard. Uh, we rented out a, another little church and met on Sunday nights at this little facility, and uh, it required such heavy lifting. We would get there hours beforehand, and we had a storage facility that we would use to store our TVs and trusses and all these different things. And even by the time the church service started, we were sweating like pack mules. And uh, there was this one situation that kept presenting itself with one of my staff members, and it really lit me up. It really angered me. So much so that leaving church that night, after putting everything in the uh, storage facility, I, I called my wife. Well, I actually used something called Voxer, which is this app where you can leave messages for one another. And I pushed the button, and I said, Carly, I'm so mad. I'm so mad right now. I've asked this person again and again to not do this. They've done it again, and I'm super fed up, and I'm super frustrated. Took my finger off the button, only to discover that I had left the message not for my wife, but directly to that person's machine. And I saw it, and God saw it. And that was my worst day ever as a leader. And all I could do was beg for forgiveness and say, I really blew it. I'm really sorry. I'm sure you're crushed. You see, some of us, when facing giants, when things go off the rails, when things go off the rails, we fill with anger, don't we? Uh, one of our founding forefathers had this to say with anger. Benjamin Franklin, anger is never without a reason, but seldom with a good one. And you go back, you go back to that story of uh, the Israelites with Moses, and there's only two guys, two spies that come back from scouting out the promised land filled with faith, not filled with fear. Does anyone know their names? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And they're like, guys, we can do this because we have the Lord. He says he's giving us the land. And they're like, no way, no how. And the scriptures go on to say, I think it's Joshua, he implores them, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protect, protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. 
And the people then said, or the scripture then says, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> okay, so let me recount that. He's like, the Lord's with us. Their protection's removed. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Unbelievable, right? They're like, muster up your faith. We've got the Lord. And they're like, that's Joshua and Caleb. Let's kill them. Now, the story doesn't continue like that. God rebukes, actually, the Israelites and has them wander in the desert for how many years? Forty years. How long is Goliath taunting the Israelites in this passage? Forty days. How long is Jesus taunted in the desert as he prepares for ministry later in the New Testament? Forty days. It's not a coincidence. You see, back to this passage... Eliab's basically saying to David, David, if we're not strong enough, you're definitely not strong enough. And he lashes out with anger. Our first response when facing giants, some of us fill with uh, fear. Our second response when facing giants, some of us fill with anger. The third response when facing giants, some of us fill with doubt. And I have to believe this is really true of those of us here in Charleston and Daniel Island. Let's jump into this point. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said, Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man uh, of war from his youth. In other words, Saul is saying, David, you're not equipped, you're not experienced enough for the fight. And the problem with Saul, and often the problem with us, is we see things, we share the perspective of the world. Let me frame it a little differently. The world says you must be taller. The world says you must be stronger. The world says you must be smarter. The world says you must be prettier. The world says you must be healthier. The world says you must be wealthier than the person next to you or you're not enough. Am I right? We live under this constant uh, situation of pressure, pressure, pressure. Measure up, you're not enough. Measure up, you're not enough. And let me tell you, friends, this is exhausting. In his book titled David and Goliath, researcher, writer Malcolm Gladwell has this to say, why do we automatically assume that someone who is smaller or poorer or less skilled is necessarily at a disadvantage? The last time we met, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 16 where God calls David and he says to Samuel, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, some of us, when we face giants, we feel with doubt that we don't have enough, we don't measure up enough. And that leads us to the fourth response. When facing giants, some of us fill with faith. And the passage goes on. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, 
and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this beast, shall be like one of them, for he's defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Note this, David, as he enters the picture here, he's not interested in power, he's interested in service. Everyone else, most of us, look through a lens of power. David's looking through a lens of obedience, of, of service. He says, what makes me qualified is I've learned to serve. And I've seen God show up again and again and again. Your servant did this. Your servant did that. I was tending to the sheep under my dad's kind of instruction. I've seen God show up again and again and again. The passage continues. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David turns and says, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the angel, excuse me, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts and of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth, that all the earth shall know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And just then David charges the villain. He charges the giant. He's not trying to be somebody else. He's being who God has called him to be, who he is. He doesn't take on Saul's armor as we read when we read the scripture. He takes it off, and he just picks up five smooth stones in his sling, and he charges in faith and in power in the strength of the Lord. The Lord, the God of the angel armies, is with me, regardless of my size, irregardless of my size, irregardless of my age, irregardless of my experience. And he strikes him dead with one thrust, with one blow, and he comes over and he ends it, and he, he saves the people of Israel. And here's the point. The greatest strength David ever displays is his, excuse me, his trust in the strength of the Lord. The greatest strength David ever displays in this passage, in this story, is his trust in God's strength. And the point, to make it even simpler, the hero of the story is not David, it's the Lord. The hero of the story is not David, it's the Lord. And I have good news. As we face giants over and over and over again, here's the point. We don't have to be David. 
And actually, God sends the true David, as we see in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to bridge the Old Testament in the New Testament right now. 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Last time we met, we looked at the promise God makes to David. I will raise up a true lasting shepherd that will redeem the people, that will lead the people. The Old Testament has great expectations that one would come in the line of David. In the book of Matthew, the genealogy, did all of us skip over? It says, here's the genealogy of Jesus Christ of the line of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus in the New Testament much like David does with the authority and the ability that comes from God alone. He doesn't pick up a stone. He picks up a cross and goes to battle for you and for me and for us. Colossians 2.15 has this to say, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he, God, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, God uses David here to save a nation. And God uses the true David, the son of David, which is Jesus' title, to save the world. So the takeaway, the main point of the passage is this, friends. When you're facing giants, I invite you to trust that the battle belongs to the Lord. If you're facing a problem in your life right now, the battle belongs to the Lord. If it's in your parenting, if it's in your schooling, if it's in your marriage, if it's in your job, if it's in your future, the battle belongs to the Lord. So where do you find yourself today? Are you a person that typically fills with fear when you face giants? God is saying, I'm with you and I want you to trust me and I'll give you power in the face of that fear. Some of you fill with anger, wanting to control and dictate and you struggle when facing giants. God is saying, I want to give you peace that is everlasting. Some of you you deal with doubt. You only can look at the facts in the here and now. You can't necessarily look at the big picture. This will kill your faith, and it honestly will kill your family. God's saying to you, I want you to trust me and have my vision and have my assurance that whatever you're facing, I go with you. So the invitation is, whatever, whatever giants you're facing today and then this fall, I want us to trust, you're invited to trust that the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we invite you to search us and to know us. And God, we, if we're honest, we all struggle in the face of giants. Some of us fill with fear, some of us fill with anger, some of us fill with doubt. God, I pray that you would forgive us, you'd love us, and you'd fill us with faith. We, we trust you in the face of uncertainty. 
And even when we're struggling, God, would you prove faithful to us time and time again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.